Al Jazeera podcast. The UK's interior minister says the international asylum system is outdated and needs to be reformed. Her views have been strongly rejected by the United Nations and human rights organizations. So what's behind them? And do they have any support? I'm Mohammed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. In London is Steve Valdez-Simmons. He's the Director of Refugee and Migrant Rights for Amnesty International UK. In Geneva is Shabi Amantu, Global Spokesperson for the United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR. And also in London is Tim Bale, professor of politics at Queen Mary University of London and author of The Conservative Party After Brexit. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Shabia, let me start with you today. Um, Suella Braverman has taken aim at the 1951 Refugee Convention, saying that the system essentially is no longer fit for purpose. Um, what's the response from the UN Refugee Agency? Well, the Refugee Convention and its 1967 protocol is uh, one of the greatest human rights instruments to have been developed and implemented. It saved millions of lives around the world over the past 70 years, and it embodies the age-old universal principle of asylum. So it's as critical now as it was when it was drafted. And one only needs to turn on the news to see uh, the crises around the world that continue to force people to flee their homes and to see how those people have accessed uh, safety and protection. And, and uh, if we look at, for instance, the, the crisis this year in Sudan or in Ukraine last year, where millions of people have been driven from their homes, it's testament to the currency and the criticality of the convention and of the international refugee law framework. Shabia, when you're talking about uh, the people all around the world who are so desperate, who are fleeing their homes, fleeing violence, I, I want to mention uh, something I heard just a short while ago. I spoke to a refugee uh, whom I know, uh, and, and he was talking about this news, about the remarks from Ms. Braverman, uh, and he told me that this was really awful to see and really awful to hear. Uh, he said, um, you know, it's not as though, from his perspective, that the countries that are signatories to the Refugee Convention, that many of them are even doing enough at this stage. How much concern is there if we start hearing this kind of rhetoric from other, from other uh, political leaders in other countries around the world? Yeah, one also needs to just look at look at the, the global picture. We have about 35 million refugees in the world, and the overwhelming majority of them, 76%, which is a huge, hugely significant um, figure, they're hosted in low to middle income countries, and they're often uh, the neighboring countries because refugees are essentially those that are driven from their homes. They, they're just fleeing in search of safety and protection, um, and they're trying to access that. So if we look at the global picture, it's it's really it speaks to the need for more uh, equitable responsibility sharing when it comes to hosting and protecting refugees. So it's really important that all countries uh, fulfill their obligations and abide by the uh, international uh, legal uh, framework to protect refugees. So it is really important that all countries abide by their obligations because we know if we look at the global situation, it's it's uh, often the most, uh, the countries that are often uh, very challenged with resources, they're often the most generous when it comes to hosting the overwhelming majority of refugees. 
Steve, from your perspective and from the perspective of your colleagues at Amnesty International, um, at a time when refugees and migrants continue to be demonized, uh, at a time when anti-migration and anti-refugee sentiment uh, continues to grow around the world in so many countries, how concerned are you when you hear this kind of rhetoric from Ms. Braverman? We're extremely concerned. The UK has a powerful voice on the international stage, and it's being grossly abused for domestic political reasons. Um, Ms. Braverman puts not just the human rights commitments in the UK and the human rights of people in the UK, including refugees in this country, at stake. She puts at stake the human rights of people right across the world, because if a country as rich as powerful, as stable as the UK, will not abide and respect its international human rights obligations, it is extremely difficult to expect and call upon other nations elsewhere, far poorer, far less stable, to do so. And of course, uh, amongst other things, that can only create more reason for more people to need to flee seeking safety somewhere, including because they can't find safety in other countries who refuse to abide by the rules that the UK seeks to flout at this time. Uh, Steve, uh, let me also ask you a follow-up. Um, Amnesty International issued a statement in response to Ms. Braverman's comments that said, uh, what urgently needs to be addressed on the world stage is the glaring inequality of countries sharing responsibility for refugees, a matter in which the UK is severely lagging. Uh, you mentioned the response from the UK in your previous answer. Just how bad is the situation there? Well, the facts are these. The UK lags significantly behind even its European Union neighbours in terms of the number of people it provides protection to or the number of people it receives seeking protection. And Europe is not a site around the world that receives the great number of refugees, as UNHCR has just explained. It has long been the case, very long been the case, that it is far poorer, less stable countries that have long been doing the great majority of work in hosting the world's refugee population. So. It's extremely concerning that the UK should seek to question commitment to the Refugee Convention when its commitment compared to others is already so poor. Tim, these remarks from Suella Braverman, from your point of view, why has she made them and, and what is it that's behind them? Well, I think there are a couple of things. The first thing to say is that Suella Braverman is very much making a pitch for the support of the right of the Conservative Party uh, for a potential leadership challenge after the election. Uh, I think many people assume that the Conservatives will lose that election and uh, they will go into a leadership contest. And she is, to some extent, marking out her territory for that as the darling of the kind of populist right of the party. Uh, but it's also, uh, frankly, an appeal to voters at home. Uh, the Conservatives are obviously desperate to put back together the uh, winning coalition that Boris Johnson built in 2019. And that was built in part on uh, some pretty authoritarian uh, anti-immigration 
uh, voters in the north and the midlands uh, of uh, England, uh, and Suella Braverman, and no doubt Rishi Sunak as well, think that um, by talking tough on migration and asylum seekers, and we see this when they talk about stopping the boats uh, as well, that they will be able to pull back some of those voters so that by the time um, the election takes place in 2024, uh, they will stand some chance of winning again. Uh, Tim, let me also ask you about the fact that it's been reported that uh, there are some, uh, even within the Conservative Party, that felt that Suella Braverman went too far uh, with these remarks. Um, do you think that's accurate? I mean, will she be facing backlash from within her own party? Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, there are some Conservatives, I think, who are dismayed uh, at this, particularly in the Parliamentary Party. Uh, they are already, I think, quite worried about the populist turn that the party has taken really since uh, the Brexit referendum. Um, some of the rhetoric on um, small boats that we've heard from Suella Braverman and Rishi Sunak and other government ministers has already alarmed them, I think. Uh, and if you put that together with some of the rolling back on net zero that uh, Rishi Sunak has been doing over the last uh, week or so, uh, that does mean that quite a lot of the more, if you like, moderate or centrist MPs in the Conservative Party are worried about the direction the party is taking. And they're also, to be honest, probably worried about the electoral impact of this, because for every voter that this kind of red meat in some ways attracts, uh, they would argue that it actually puts off uh, another voter for whom this, if you like, illiberal uh, populism uh, actually alienates. Uh, and many Conservative MPs are, are worried about losing their seats uh, because of that. Uh, Shabia, in these controversial remarks, uh, Suella Braverman also said that the threshold had been lowered over time in terms of judging who meets the criteria defined in the 1951 UN Refugee Convention. What does the UNHCR say to that? Well, the refugees are people that are fleeing for their lives and for threats to their, their lives, their freedom. Um, when we're talking about uh, the refugee status determination process, it's an individualized process. So we have to look at the individual circumstances and the experiences uh, and the, the threats and the dangers that people have uh, are fearing. Uh, and that's what's really important. So it's, it's not very helpful to sort of have a sweeping um, categorization because it really depends uh, on the individual experience and the circumstances. So uh, when we're looking at the, the global picture and we see refugees, there are people that are fleeing conflict, um, really uh, horrific human rights violations, um, persecution based on their orientation, um, on, on other uh, identity uh, factors. It could be uh, race, religion, uh, nationality, membership of a particular social group or, or political opinion. Um, but we, we seen, uh, you know, the, the stories and the experiences of people that have, have fled for their lives, um, fleeing really um, horrific uh, conflict and human rights violations. So uh, it, the need is for a more compassionate and humane response to people who've been in that position, because it's not a voluntary choice. No one wants to be a refugee. No one wants to be exposed to such horrendous uh, circumstances in their lives. So what we need is compassion. And what we need is also really fair, expedient and efficient asylum processes to quickly determine uh, who is in need of international protection, who is a refugee uh, and, and who isn't, and to also then uh, galvanize solutions.
Steve, uh, Ms. Braverman also claimed that women and gay people must face more than discrimination if they are to qualify as a refugee. Uh, this is a statement uh, that has been challenged by many refugee charities. Uh, what is Amnesty's response to that statement? Well, actually, she's being very um, misrepresentative of the convention itself in her words. She's choosing to suggest, imply that gay people, that women, refugees, are somehow being advantaged in refugee determination processes and in the convention itself, which is very far from true. Discrimination is an important consideration, but it is persecution that is the test, as she must very well know whether that meets that particularly high threshold, one which, by the way, the UK has only last year passed laws to raise wholly inappropriately in terms of its own determination procedures. So she's targeting a minority of people who largely are disadvantaged, even in the whole refugee convention scheme, to pillarize them as a way of tacking the convention itself. I think the whole thing is utterly shameful. Tim, it looked to me like you were reacting uh, to some of what Steve was saying there. Uh, please go ahead. Well, I mean, I think uh, that Steve's absolutely right when he says that um, this is really uh, an attempt to resile on the part of the UK from a very um, long-held uh, assumption that the UK would uphold uh, the convention and indeed would be uh, seeking to make sure that other countries um, did as well. So as far as the kind of moral leadership, if you like, of the UK on this particular issue, I think to, to some extent, um, Suella Braverman has, has damaged that possibly permanently. Of course, it is worth remembering that this isn't necessarily the government that the UK will have next year. And although this is clearly a statement that uh, would not have been uh, made had Number 10 Downing Street not actually approved it. Uh, it's important to realise that this is not necessarily the UK's position uh, going forward over the next few years. If we get a different result at the next general election from the last, I think we'll have a very different view on this from the UK government. Shabia, you, you mentioned earlier that there really is a need for a more humane system in order to deal with this all more effectively uh, around the world. Um, and I want to ask you about the fact that it seems no matter what security apparatus has been put in place, no matter what new agreements have been reached between countries to try to staunch the flow of refugees and migrants, uh, at the end of the day, those numbers have not been decreasing, correct? Well, if we look at the, the global picture, there there is a correlation between increased displacement and then uh, situations of, of conflict um, or instability or uh, perpetuating uh, continuous human rights violations which force people to flee. So what's really needed is to look at what we call the root causes that force people to flee their homes. They really need to be addressed if we want to get serious about addressing increasing displacement, because this is really uh, a result, a consequence of political uh, decisions, of political action 
action. So there needs to be much more strengthened efforts to resolve conflicts and prevent new ones from occurring, um, but also to, to address what we would call mixed movements, because we know that people on the move, um, they're often, uh, it's a mix between refugees, so people who are fleeing conflict or persecution or human rights violations, um, but also migrants and people who, who might choose to, to leave or, or have to leave for a variety of other reasons. Um, so it's important to, to look at uh, this from a very holistic approach uh, and prevent uh, by addressing the root causes, but then also responding in a humane manner, which can include things from ensuring that we have enough capacity or strengthened capacities to rescue people um, in distress uh, on land or at sea. Um, we've got so many tragedies happening uh, in, in various maritime movements across the world, uh, not just on the Mediterranean, but also if we look um, in Asia um, and, and so on. So we have to really uh, enhance the search and rescue capacities. We need to ensure that asylum systems are sufficiently resourced, so they are crucial in um, being able to determine who is in need of protection, and then finding humane solutions for those uh, who are not uh, determined to be refugees, but that can also include uh, returns to home countries in safety and dignity, um, but then also strengthening inclusion uh, in, in countries that are hosting refugees or the bulk of refugees. Uh, many of those countries around the world that are hosting the majority of refugees um, require uh, support in the form of development assistance or humanitarian uh, support, and that will also ensure that people uh, who, who have fled uh, for safety can access services like education, healthcare, um, and be able to work and access protection in those uh, host countries. And we also importantly need more responsibility sharing from the rest of the world. So that can take uh, place in the form of ensuring uh, more resettlement places for refugees or other forms of admissions. And again, ensuring that more financial resources are channeled into the countries that are on the front lines. Um, so it requires a really holistic approach to to look at uh, the situation and really um, stem uh, the issue of people being forced to flee their homes in the first place. Shabia, we've spoken many times in the past, and you have advocated many times in the past, uh, for countries to be, you know, integrating those refugee communities more and more, to be welcoming those migrant communities, to be allowing them to work and, and participate more in society. But I want to ask you, what is the response when when UNHCR is calling upon these countries to do that? More and more, what are you hearing? And is there the political will to actually do this? Yeah, I mean, it's so important, first of all, for refugees to be able to access safety and protection. And if we look at the global picture and the fact that there are uh, refugees who are crossing the borders and accessing safety, it is a mixed picture. We are seeing really some exemplary practices, um, and we see that all around the world. When it comes to inclusion, we do see there is a, a big uh, strain and, and a lot of pressures on, on some of these uh, refugee host countries, these low to middle income countries. Um, and they are trying uh, to do their best. They're hosting often refugees for years years um, at a time and in what we call protracted refugee situation. So there, there is a need to, to see support from the rest of the world. And the international community has recognized this inequity in the refugee uh, response because, uh, you know, it came together, the international community came together and reaffirmed the principles of refugee protection, but also the need for more support for inclusion, but also for, to support other host countries through humanitarian admissions, uh, refugee resettlement and so on, um, through the Global Compact on Refugees, which basically is a framework for the refugee response. So we. we we, we know this has been endorsed, um, but we would, la would like to see um, more concrete commitments from the rest of the world in terms of mm. doing their bit to support international responsibility sharing.
Tim, um, Britain's Labour Party said Ms. Braverman was trying to distract from her failures in getting to grips with the UK's migration crisis. Uh, they also accused her of using gay people and women as scapegoats. Um, how much was the speech a product of politics? But also, is the Labour uh, Party taking a harder line towards migration now, too? Well, the Labour Party does have to be careful uh, on this because it's very clear when you look at polling in the UK that people are worried about migration. Uh, those worries seem to ease a little bit um, after Brexit, but they seem to be growing again, partly in response to the so-called small boats crisis. Uh, and Labour, of course, is worried about the next election and the possibility that the Conservatives might, as I've said before, use migration as a, a card to play in, in that election. Having said that... Uh, the Labour Party has a reputation as an internationalist party. Uh, it doesn't uh, want to alienate any of its more progressive supporters by taking too hard a line uh, on migration. And in some ways, perhaps, Suella Braverman's words, uh, rather than making it more difficult for the Labour Party, might make it rather easier in the sense that in as much as they are seen by some swing voters as quite extreme, mm. uh, it allows Labour actually to portray themselves as having kind of sensible, pragmatic um, solutions, even though it's quite concerned about the situation, uh, which don't go um, quite as far as uh, the Conservatives' very hard line. So uh, I think Labour are probably uh, being quite careful how they play this. They don't want to be seen as, quote-unquote, a soft touch on migration. Mm. But on the other hand, they want to ensure that, uh, as far as you know, their kind of core vote is concerned, their progressive voters, if you like, mm. uh, they are uh, rather less extreme than Ms. Braverman. Steve, um, Ms. Braverman also called on world leaders to make major changes to the UN Refugee Convention. Obviously, this is not something that she would be able to implement unilaterally, but do you think that we will start seeing and hearing more calls for that from other world leaders? This is the sort of thing from time to time that some world leaders, usually leaders of relatively rich, stable countries who see relatively few refugees, do say. Um, I can't see there being any progress in relation to that, in fact, for the great simple reason, as UNHCR have explained earlier in this discussion, the reality is that if we were to re-envisage refugee protection in any equitable way that could engage the entirety of the international community, it would be obviously necessary to address the long-standing fact that it is poorer, less stable countries who remain host to the vast majority of the world's refugees. And either the richer countries are going to step up and truly share responsibility, or that disparity is likely to increase the need for some people to be moving ever further in search of safety. That is the huge thing that is not being addressed, leaving aside other questions of who else may be forced to move in the future with new conflicts or the added dimension of climate change. But these are things that Swella Braverman has no interest in addressing. She thinks there is politics to be played in, in the idea that the UK can just further opt out of its international responsibilities. Clearly, there is no possibility of international agreement around that. 
All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Steve Valdez-Simmons, Shabia Mantu, and Tim Bale. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Omikul Sharif, Fongi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Dragan Brankovic. The program was edited by Alex Kerler, Zaina Badr, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, what's it like going back to school in an earthquake zone? We hear from students in Turkey. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.